Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org, for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook. Find out all we have to offer birders with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 718. Well, when I was 16, I got my driver's license and started cruising the mean streets of Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And I wasn't looking for birds, at least not the feathered kind. And pretty much the birds that I was aware of were robins and blue jays and pigeons. But Maya Rose Craig is, shall we say, a little bit more advanced as a birder at age 16. In fact, she has become the youngest bird watcher ever to spot 5,000 species of birds. That's right, 5,000. According to the UK's Daily Mail, Maya Rose has been bird watching with her family since she was just a few months old. She began doing her own counts at the age of four and recorded her 5,000th species, a rock bunting, at the age of 16 while on vacation in northern Spain last week. Wow. From the Talking Birds email bag, we have a note from Sarah Gilbert in Washington, D.C. in connection with last Sunday's mystery bird, which was the pileated woodpecker. She says, I've been listening to your podcast for many months now, but I've only gotten the mystery bird right once or twice. I was thrilled to hear yesterday's episode because I saw a pileated woodpecker in my neighborhood for the first time. Two days ago, my husband thought I was crazy when I suddenly yelled out, Pileated Woodpecker, while on my headphones in my office. (laughs) How great is that? Thank you, Sarah, for that story and for your kind comments about the show. Here's a little teaser. Coming soon to Talkin' Birds, it's our second annual Make Your Own Swag contest featuring the famous Talkin' Birds patch and some pretty awesome prizes. Details coming uh, soon. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. This would not be the mystery bird contest, but merely a preview of the contest coming a little bit later in the show. Here are some clues. The adult male of our mystery bird is mostly black, but with white flanks and a blue-gray bill and a sprig of feathers cascading down toward its back from the top of its head. The adult female is mostly brown. Our bird, which feeds mostly by diving, but sometimes by dabbling, breeds throughout temperate and northern Eurasia, but is occasionally found as a winter visitor along both coasts of the U.S. and Canada. Prizes today include the Droll Yankees' original, iconic, A6F Classic Tube Feeder. It's kind of the feeder that started it all in terms of modern bird feeders, and it is still an amazing feeder. That's uh, our prize, plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. That's the app that makes uh, learning bird sounds a game. Prizes on our Mystery Bird Contest coming up a little bit later on in this morning's show. Extra, extra, read all about 
Some of the stories and videos on our Facebook page this week. In his latest newspaper column, our Mike O'Connor has a lot to say about the invasive mute swan, partly because it can't speak for itself. According to an article in BBC News, parrots feel instant energy when they ingest opium. And they quickly come to crave the feeling. Our page will link you to that article that explains why that's a problem for farmers. And would anyone like to see a picture of part of our crew and our special guest at last Sunday's Mass Audubon Birders Meeting broadcast? Well, it's on our page right now. And that's some of what's on our Facebook page. You can also find uh, at least two of those stories uh, through an online search if uh, you're not a Facebook follower. We're very grateful to be able to say thank you again this week to new Talking Birds ambassadors who let us send them send them some of our cards to hand out to their friends and neighbors uh, to help spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. And thank you this morning to Lou Ammon from Verona, Pennsylvania. He says, I'm a relatively new listener, so I'd like to hear more about the annual waterfowl migrations and also more about owls. I'm pretty sure you already do this, but I just haven't been listening long enough. Thank you, Lou, and we promise to tackle those topics again soon. And thank you to Silas Caswell from Peaks Island, Maine. He says, I'm currently on a road trip around the country to go birding, and this trip is part of my homeschool. Birding is one of my favorite things to do. I really like your podcast, and I would like to be an ambassador for Talking Birds because I think that lots of other people would like your podcast, too. We hope so. And Silas sent us some sweet photos of a red cockaded woodpecker and one of his favorite birds, a vermilion flycatcher, both taken on the Florida leg of his family's big bird-watching trip. By the way, Silas is 11 years old, so he becomes a member of our kind of unofficial Young Ambassadors Club. To join Silas and Lou as a Talking Birds ambassador, Talking Birds listeners, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and click or choose the Become an Ambassador option. Meanwhile, attention Talking Birds listeners on Cape Cod and in eastern Massachusetts. You can enjoy a talk by our friend, superstar birder David Clapp on Monday night at 7 at the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History on Route 6A in Brewster as part of the Cape Cod Bird Club meeting. The talk is called Birds and Beasts of Brazil, Monday night, March 11th, 7 p.m. at the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History in Brewster. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with artist Jane Kim, creator of a mural that took more than two and a half years to complete, including 17 months of on-site painting to produce the only mural in the world to showcase all modern families of birds. Plus, we'll catch up with our Mike O'Connor on our Let's Ask Mike segment. And up next, a very important bird is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. You made me feel like a yellow-bellied sapsucker singing in a eucalyptus tree. And now I feel like a sap since you made a sucker out of me. If non-birders want to name a silly-sounding, fictitious bird, they might use the name of today's featured feathered friend, the yellow-bellied sapsucker. It is, of course, not a fictitious bird at all. In fact, it's a rather important bird. More on that in a moment. 
Identify this medium-sized woodpecker by the blurry black-and-white barring on the back, white wing patches that look like a white stripe when perched, a red throat and crown in the male, much less red in the female, and sort of a yellow belly, really more of a yellow wash on the upper belly and breast. The yellow-bellied sapsucker makes two kinds of holes in trees to harvest sap, round holes that go deep into the tree, which the bird probes for sap, and shallower, rectangular holes that are continuously maintained to keep the sap flowing. The yellow-bellied sapsucker is the only woodpecker in eastern North America that is completely migratory, with individuals traveling as far south as Panama for the winter. And why is this bird so important? Well, according to the folks at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in Ithaca, New York, where you'll see Jane Kim's incredible wall of birds, it's because it's what's known as a keystone species. When it drills holes in trees to get at the nourishing sap there, it's providing a food source for other bird species in the process, making its existence essential for the health of an entire community of birds. By the way, if you visit the Cornell Lab website, you'll note another distinction that the yellow-bellied sapsucker can claim. It's the bird in flight in the middle of the lab's official logo. The yellow-bellied sapsucker, Sphiropicus varius. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 718. Please visit our website, TalkingBirds.com, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. Jane Kim is an American painter and science illustrator and the co-founder of the Ink Dwell Studio. She's best known for her large-scale murals that promote advocacy of the natural world. And she is the creator of the extraordinary and colossal Wall of Birds mural at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in Ithaca, New York, depicting, among other subjects, all 243 modern families of living birds, making it the only work of public art in the world showcasing all of those families. And she's the author with Thayer Walker of a remarkable companion book entitled The Wall of Birds, One Planet, 243 Families, 375 Million Years. And she joins us on the phone right now from San Francisco, California. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well, thank you, even though it's snowing here and probably not there, right? That's true, but it is raining here. Okay, well, it's going to be raining here later, so we won't complain <laughs> too much. Well, Jane, starting with the mural, tell us uh, where the idea came from for the mural, and give us a quick description, if you can, for something so huge, the Wall of Birds. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it was actually Dr. John Fitzpatrick who had the grand vision to put a mural in the visitor center of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and I was a Bartel Science Illustration intern at the time when he approached me after he had learned I had made large-scale murals, and he pulled me out to the balcony of the second floor overlooking this epic wall, and he said, would you be interested in creating a mural on the evolution of birds? I have always wanted a mural in this visitor center, and I nearly fell off the balcony. Um, I couldn't believe my ears. Uh, I said, absolutely. Um, I probably startled him with my enthusiasm, but that is really how the project came to be. And, of course, it went through a variety of iterations before we landed on where we landed. 
Well, other artists had talked about this, too, and said, uh, you know, it was a great idea, but too big for any one person to tackle. But obviously, your reaction was uh, was quite different. I have to think, though, all the many, many months that you put in doing this, there must have been times, Jane, when you wondered if that initial enthusiasm was uh, completely justified. Well, the enthusiasm was always there. There was always a bit of terror along with that enthusiasm. So I think at the very first instant that I heard of this opportunity, none of that was there. It was really all all in at that at that moment. And then, of course, you know, as I was nearing my cross-country trek to Ithaca, I uh, definitely wondered, wow, am I, am I going to be able to pull this off? And I better be able to pull this off. So, yes, I was there for 17 months on site. Wow. And is it 3,000 square feet? Do I have that number right? More or less. It's a funky-shaped wall. So mm-hmm. I think sort of the overall measurements are somewhere in the 70-by-40-foot ballpark. And then, you know, there's a stairwell and, and other nooks and crannies on the wall. And uh, all the continents of the Earth and birds, where they belong all around all around the Earth. Yes. Um, They're all there. They're not necessarily all accurate. Of course, you know, there's some debate on what the most accurate projection of a world map is, and this one does not fall anywhere near any of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you went home uh, when it was completed, Jane, and did what any self-respecting artist would do. You collapsed on the couch for a month. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know the book was planned even before the wall painting began by you and your partner and husband, Thayer Walker, but... Was it after the couch time that the book uh, began to come together? Well, yeah, so he, um, there was a vision for it, and we always thought there there ought to be a sort of um, coffee, you know, table style yeah. book. I don't know if that's what this one is, but um, you know, we began to uh, put the pieces in place in order for this book to come together. And um, I finished in two thousand end of two thousand fifteen. Um, arrived back in San Francisco in early January 2016, and then we finally released this book um, just this past October. So yeah, it took some time, um, but it was uh, a lot of a lot of work uh, in a short amount of time to get this out. Mm-hmm. So the book is filled with uh, your amazing paintings from the Wall of Birds, along with uh, descriptive text and descriptions of your technique. Even a fold-out section showing the entire uh, Wall of Birds mural starting with birds of Australasia, then sweeping all around the world. There's also a detour kind of in Chapter 5 entitled Evolution, the First Steps. Tell us about that part of the book. Yes, um, this is an often overlooked part of the book, so I'm really glad that this was something that jumped out to you. Um, painting the evolution was like painting an entirely new mural. So I finished all of the extant and the extinct families of birds, uh, first, and then at the very end of the time there, I tackled the evolution, and it was uh, quite a different experience, of course. And when Fitz first approached me, the focus of the mural was actually meant to be much more on the evolution, and so that was one of the parts that got, um, I guess, edited down a little bit, so that it was really just the key species that were uh, part of the ancestry of birds um, and of crocodiles and and lizards as well so they share uh, similar families but it starts with the first thin um, lobe the tictaolic 
at the top of the stairwell, and as you descend the stairs, you're also uh, moving forward in time. So it acts like a, a, a giant timeline. Um, and th- that one was just so much fun to paint. Um, I can't tell you that they are all completely accurate. I, I wasn't a paleo artist then, and I'm certainly not one now, but I really had a lot of fun uh working on on this particular part of the mural and it's all ghosted um which to represent that you know that's in our history and Mm -hmm. and they're extinct by the way a visit to the cornell lab website will reveal the entire wall of birds including an interactive tour of the mural you can find the precise link on our talking birds facebook page and if you can't make the trip to ithaca new york to see the wall of birds you can discover some of Jane's other amazing work in places all around the country. Maybe something near you by visiting her website, inkdwell.com. That's inkdwell.com. Meanwhile, you don't even need to leave the couch to enjoy this spectacular book, The Wall of Birds, One Planet, 243 Families, 375 Million Years, available just about uh, wherever books are sold. Jane, I'm happy to say that I have the book, and I'm looking forward to seeing the mural up close there at the Cornell Lab, and congratulations on creating an amazing work of art and science, and thanks for being with us here on Talking Birds. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. <laughs> Tanzania. Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species. And on safari with Nasera safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino, and cape buffalo. That's Nasera safaris founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and guerrilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda. Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, naserasafaris.com, N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. Well, if you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live and think you're unable to enter our mystery bird contest, Tim tells us that that is really not the case because you can hear our show live every week online, no matter where you are. That is, if you tune at the time that we're on live, that would be 9.30 to 10 Eastern time, which is now Eastern Daylight time, right? Daylight saving time began for most of the country uh, sometime late last night. So that's how that uh, that works. And by the way, if you'd like to listen to any or even all of our past Talking Bird shows, just open the podcast app that's built into your iPhone or the Google podcast app on your Android phone and just type Talking Birds into the search bar. And then this is our favorite part. Click subscribe. And then you can get alerts about when the next podcast is available and just a click away. You can also find Talking Birds on various other podcast providers. And if you don't find it on your favorite app, please let us know. What we have there is our mystery bird. That's the sound of our bird, the adult male version of which is mostly black, but with white flanks and a blue-gray bill and a sprig of feathers cascading down toward its back from the top of its head. 
That's kind of a big clue right there. The adult female is mostly brown. Our bird, which feeds mostly by diving, but sometimes by dabbling, breeds throughout temperate and northern Eurasia, but occasionally is found as a winter visitor along both coasts of the U.S. and Canada. What is our mystery bird? Well, tell us or let us know what your guess is, because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So by all means, uh, take a guess at it or tell us definitively uh, what that bird is. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. Please don't hesitate with your call. Prizes include the Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew. They hate that. And it's backed by a lifetime warranty, in fact, against squirrel damage. They don't care about that. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. The app that makes learning bird sounds a game. That's our Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile... We'll head to Cape Cod and find our man, Mike O'Connor, the Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. It's uh, Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Cheryl Eggert, and I live in Phillipston, Massachusetts. What I like about Talking Birds is the information, uh, but I also love the informality and the comedy and the fun and, and also just keeping up to date with what's going on in the birding world. It's a great idea to become a Talking Birds ambassador. How else can you support your love of birds and the environment? Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. Well, Bird on a Wire is a, a Mel Gibson movie. The Joe Cocker song. And believe it or not, it's also the topic of our uh, uh, Let's Ask Mike segment this morning. At least I think so. We'll check with Mike and see if that's uh, correct. Good morning, Mike. Oh, my God. I'm still in bed, Ray. Why do they change the clocks? Why do they keep doing this? What time is it, anyway? Uh, you know, it's like 4 in the morning, it oh seems. I have no idea. This is just... Why do they... We can't agree on anything, but they can they can change the clocks whenever they want. I don't get that. Well, you know, we just had Jane Kim on. She's in California, so it's a lot earlier for her out there. Uh, I guess so, I should stop complaining. Yeah, so you, you quit your, <laughs> and quit I've your seen bi- that wall she did in yeah. Cornell and Ithaca. That's unbelievable. It is really fantastic. It, it is. I, you know, I went over and I was, with a Sharpie. I was going to highlight where my store was, but my wife wouldn't <laughs> let me do that. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's frowned upon. You will never be able to enter the Cornell Lab Visitor <laughs> Center again. Oh man, yeah, we're talking about wires today. You know, yeah. um, the p- power lines that, w- that we put up to give us all our electricity. Birds, like a lot of times, take advantage of uh, what we offer them. So, uh, birds of prey, like eagles and ospreys, will build their nests on them. Uh, uh, hawks will use the, the poles. We see the red-tailed hawks. Looking for prey all the time. We see bluebirds on the wires, mm. looking for crickets down below and the grasses down below. 
And the swallows in the fall, it's a long ways from fall now, but the swallows use those to gather up before they head south. So they're all a good, it's a good thing, but on the same token, they're a problem. Um, you know, the birds... The little birds don't seem to have a problem. And I know when I was a kid, I think we all said, how come that, you know, my parents were telling me, don't touch that, you'll get electrocuted. Well, how come the birds do it? <laughs> well, because the birds don't complete the circuit. Yeah. So if they stay on one wire, they're fine. But the but big they, birds, yeah, that's different. That's, right? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's much different. And for some reason, it took us a while to figure that out. And I think we're still figuring it out. A lot of places where the large birds, condors, had a trouble with that early on. And, and golden and mm-hmm. bald eagles still having trouble with that. And, and even ospreys, because if they fly th- through the wires and they make contact, mm-hmm. it's not good. You know, it's, you know, it's, you, you had that smell of barbecue in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not good for the birds. And also, they, um, they, or if they land on the pole and, and they they make contact. So the power companies are going through some... Another problem I forgot to mention was the birds' just collisions with the wires, whether they get electrocuted or not. When they get fog and they fly through and they hit the guy wires or they hit the wires themselves, it's a problem. So the power companies, in an effort to, to be good citizens and also in an effort to keep themselves from having to climb up and fix these poles constantly. The, a lot of the bird conservation groups have asked them to separate the wires maybe uh, further so the birds can't uh, make contact. I think it's like 60 feet. They, they encourage them to, to spread them apart. And, uh, or, or the top of the poles, they put these barriers so the birds can't build their nests on them or light on them, or they have these markers, these spinners. Sometimes, I, I never even knew what they were for. That's how dumb I am. I would see these spinners and these balls on the wires, and I thought, well, maybe that's for planes and stuff. But it's actually uh, for the birds. So the birds notice these things while they're migrating or they're just flying from point A to point B so they don't smack into these wires. But the birds like them. I, I know over here in Orleans, in the big city of Orleans, there's a pond where uh, the power lines cross, and for the last couple of decades, the cormorants, the double-crested cormorants in the summer, would roost on these. And I think it was kind of a, um, you know, welcome to Orleans. <laughs> you go by yeah. this whole that was thing a, of black That was a big issue yeah. down there, was it not, or is it still? Well, they've, they've, they claim they've moved the lines that the birds have used finally. We'll see what happens when the birds return. That's We'll see if it's an issue. They, they think they've fixed it, but they've said that a couple of times. They used to go out with guys with shotgun, you know, blank shotguns to scare them off. And, um, but they think they fixed it, so uh, stay tuned for that exciting story when it comes to make return in the spring. All right, have you seen the Mel Gibson movie, Bird on a Wire? I'm, I'm going to watch it right after yeah, this. I'm going to listen to the Joe Cocker song. All right. <laughs> Talk to you next week, Mike. Sounds great, man. Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. I know this is not the greatest bird to hear, but, uh, you know, this is a part of the clue to help you identify our... It's better than a turkey vulture. Yeah, the turkey vulture is a little (laughs) scary. And all those things, uh, that hissing kind of thing. That's, yeah... Uh, the adult male version of our mystery bird, mostly black with white flanks and a blue-gray bill, a sprig of feathers cascading t- uh, down toward its back from the top of its head. The adult female, mostly brown. What is our mystery bird? 781-837-4900 is the number. And I believe we have 
You know, Tim, we need to get some new um, markers for those whiteboards because uh, it looks like just a plain white board uh, over there. But I think I can read this first one. It looks like it says Ken in Bellingham, Washington. Let's see if that's correct. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Oh, it's from early morning. Early morning out there. Well, you're in Pacific time, right? So you're... Yes. All right. Well, thanks for being up early and joining us, Ken, and for calling in on the Mystery Bird Contest. And what would your your answer be to the identity of our Mystery Bird? I believe it's a tufted duck. A tufted duck, uh, Tim. A tufted duck. Tim is nodding and smiling. Yes, we have a winner. We have a winner. Woo-hoo! And I believe it's you, Ken. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. You are correct. You're and, welcome. Uh, you stay on the line. Tim will get all your info and we'll send you that nice stuff. Okay, and I just became an ambassador this week. Oh, I thought that sounded familiar. Well, thank you. We'll give you an official thanks on the next show. Okay. All right, thank you, Ken. Next week on our show, Diana Cohn, Chief Executive Officer of the Plastic Pollution Coalition, which describes itself as a global alliance of individuals, organizations, businesses, and policymakers working toward a world free of plastic pollution and its toxic impacts on humans, animals, waterways, and oceans, and the environment will be our special guest. See you then. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. We'd like to invite all of Ray's listeners to join us on one of our free upcoming walks at birding hotspots throughout Rhode Island. Explore the smallest state in the Union with the biggest variety of birds by visiting our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org, for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook. Find out all we have to offer birders with Ocean State Bird Club.